Have you ever been in debt? Judging by the smirks, the smiles, the nods, you know what that feels like. Maybe you know all too well the debt of trying to pay off a mortgage or the student loan debt crisis or the trillion dollar credit card debt crisis. We all personally have felt debt weigh us down, right? It can almost feel like a literal bank-sized weight on our shoulders. You can't help but have this relentless sense of urgency to try to pay that debt off. In fact, it's hard for your mind and your thoughts to rest until you finally break even. And yet, as intimidating and scary and stressful as financial debt can be, all of us have an even more colossal debt that's following us wherever we go. It's the debt of love that we owe our neighbor the people we live life with. How can we possibly always love our neighbor, especially those who have wronged us to our core? How can we do as Jesus has called us to do, to love our neighbor as ourselves? How do we have that no man left behind mentality when it comes to the battlefield of life? How can we love the law? Well, Paul today in Romans 13 has just phenomenal answers for all of those deep and important questions. So Paul, up until this point, had never personally met the Roman congregation, but he had heard stories. He had heard about a church in the heart of a decidedly unchristian Roman empire, a multi-ethnic church that was thriving but it wasn't void of challenges. And like you can imagine, when people of different ethnicities and different thought processes and different backgrounds come together, there's going to be a little bit of tension there. And in this church specifically, there were these two factions that were growing. It was the Jewish believers and the non-Jewish believers, the Gentiles. And you had the Jewish believers of the church who would say, okay, it's the ancestry, we're from the line of Abraham, it's following a certain lifestyle, like avoiding pork, That is the ticket into God's covenant family. And then you had the Gentile believers who would respond with negativity towards the way that the Jewish believers wanted to do worship and what they focused on. They said that's all outdated. And so Paul spends 11 chapters, he spills ink for over 2,000 words in the book of Romans, this beautiful tapestry of theology outlining what the real ticket into God's covenant family is. It's Jesus. It's faith alone in Jesus alone that alone gives us life, that alone gives us victory. It's that king of kings who marched this battlefield of life and won the war for salvation, who opened heaven's doors for you and for me. These two competing factions had to be unified in Christ because only, if that was the case, that's the only way that they could love their neighbor, and love God with everything they had. And this meant loving people they disagreed with. And this meant loving people who actively wanted to hurt them. If you look at the verses right before the ones we're looking at today in Romans 13, Paul writes some pretty countercultural and controversial words, and I think they've even become more countercultural today. 
he writes to Christians that they must submit to the governing authorities. Now, you can imagine how that would have hit the ears of those Roman Christians. I mean, I have to listen to that government leader even though I don't agree at all with their position or whatever law they're putting before us. I have to listen to that? Even if I find it to be foolish and unwise? I have to listen to that person that's in leadership even though I know their personal life isn't great. Think about the context of when Paul wrote this. He wrote this to a group of Christians many of whom would be used as human light poles in the streets of Rome, thrown into coliseums to face lions. That's the government that Paul is talking about. Kind of puts things into perspective where we're at in our country, right? But Paul takes it one step further. Look what he says at the beginning of verse 8. He says, give everyone what you owe him. In other words, pay off your debts. Leave no IOU left unpaid. But there's even more here. He surprises us. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Wait, so we want to have debt? I I suppose that sort of makes sense. If somebody does something nice for me, I want to return the favor. Or if somebody loves me, I'm going to feel more inclined to love them back. But that's not what Paul's saying here. I mean, just look at the rest of verse 8. He says, for whoever loves Others has fulfilled the law. It doesn't say, God's word doesn't say whoever loves their friends loves the law. It doesn't say whoever loves fellow Christians, that's fulfilling the law. No, it's whoever loves everybody. That's the kind of love that fulfills the law. And so for the Jewish believers, that meant loving those Gentile believers, even though they found their style of worship and the way they lived their lives as being outdated. It meant loving Gentile rulers who often found, sadly, the Jewish people to be a nuisance. And for those Gentile believers, it meant loving their Jewish believer portion of the family and not talking badly against them, but building them up. It meant loving the Gentiles around them who found their belief in Jesus to be outdated and unnatural and short-sighted? Who does others mean for you? Does it mean that parent who never made an effort to be a part of your life and when they did, it didn't accomplish what you hoped it would? Is it that spouse that you've tried over and over and over again to try to love them, but they never seem to appreciate it? Does it mean that friend that you once were really close to, and then when you needed them, they didn't come through? Does it mean maybe a member in this church family that doesn't see the same political viewpoint that you do or the same opinion on COVID as you do? Does it mean the influencers in our world today that are very anti-Christian call us bigoted and wrong, a sham? Others includes all those people and everybody else. See, God has put you in a specific context, a community of people that you've been called to love And it has nothing to do if that person deserves that love or not. That's not it. He's put you in a specific time, a specific place, 
for a specific reason. See, our neighbor is not ours to choose. It's God's to give. So if that's the case, if everybody in our life is worthy of this love, what kind of love are we talking about? Is this the tolerance sort of love where you can kind of put up with somebody for a little bit, but nothing more? Is it an acquaintance sort of love where you can give a little here, share a little there? Is it that acceptance form of love, a love built on the foundation of live and let live? If what you're doing in your life isn't affecting me, that's fine. Go ahead. As you could probably guess, that's not the kind of love that we're talking about, is it? Now, this kind of love in Romans is agape love. It's that selfless, self-sacrificing, self-giving kind of love. The love that goes out to anybody and everybody The kind of love that even though it knows there could be hurt involved, that love goes out anyway. It's the kind of love that doesn't look to justify why it's worth loving someone, but just by automatic default, love. It's that love that is the fulfillment of the law. It's that love that pays that debt that we owe our neighbor. That love that doesn't think to covet or lie or steal. It's simply do everything we can to go after as many people as we can who are lying wounded on this battlefield of life and hearing them to Jesus. But you know as well as I do that we've had a divisive relationship with that love really since that fateful day in the Garden of Eden. Far more often than I would like to admit to you this morning, this sinful heart doesn't long to care for others just to gratify itself. This sin-stained heart of mine only has one objective, to get what I want at whatever cost it takes. Who cares who I offend? Who cares who I hurt? Who cares who I bring to tears? It doesn't matter. As long as I get what I want. Is your heart like mine? Conscience tells you it is, and even more so, the Bible tells us it is. Without God, that's who we are. And so we look at the law, we look at these Ten Commandments, and we say, how in the world, Lord, do you expect me to do that? How can I selflessly love other people? How can I love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my understanding? How do I do that? It's impossible. But for someone, it was possible. And he got it done. You and I stand with those same Roman Christians looking at this and saying, how can I accomplish this life, Lord? How can I find this love that is the fulfillment of the law? Well, you find it. You find love embodied in the form of an embryo, then a baby, and then a toddler, and then a teen, and then an adult. Love embodied that was born on that very first Christmas day. Love that we're looking forward to to come back one day as we have throughout this end time season. It's that selfless love personified that not only kept the law perfectly from baby to adult, every single temptation the devil could have possibly thrown at him, he never faltered once. And I hope you know why that is. It's because of you. Because every time he was faced with that choice, it wasn't really a choice. He wanted you to be with him that badly. And he took it even one step further. 
This debt of love we can never pay back. He put it all on his shoulders. He took all of your shame and all of your guilt and all of your sin. He put that all on his back his whole life through until messianic love personified went to the cross and nailed it there to remain forever, to never touch you again. It's Jesus who washed you in baptism, who brought you to faith, who has cleaned all those sins of sinful self-gratification. It's that love that fulfills the law. And it's that love that makes us look at the Ten Commandments and look at God's law. And instead of seeing and looking at it and saying, okay, that's the standard I could never maintain, we look at it and we say, that's the standard that Jesus met. You look at each one of those Ten Commandments. He kept that for me. He did that for me. He loves me that much. So how can that not change how we look at the law? How can this not lead us to love the law that God has given to us? Because no longer is the law this impossible roadmap for us to try to traverse to get into heaven. No. The law now is this incredible mirror that reminds us of how much we fall short, which then drives us to the gospel to see how Jesus fills those cracks, how his light envelops our darkness, how he has healed us. And so then for you and me, Christian soldiers, we look at the law as a guide and it gives us direction for specific ways that we can love God and love people. It's that kind of love like Paul talks about that does no harm to its neighbor. But that doesn't mean that that kind of love won't harm you and me because it will. It doesn't mean that this kind of love is easy. It's really the hardest of all. And yet when you think about who you really are in Christ, your identity through baptism, it's really the easiest form of love for the Christian. Because the new person within you, empowered by God's grace, it wants nothing more. You want nothing more than to love God with all your heart, to love your neighbor with all your heart, to love God's law. And so now as we look at this calling, we no longer run away from it. We get excited about it. The opportunities that God is going to put before us to love. But maybe the thoughts are running through your mind, maybe as they're running through the minds of those Roman Christians when they heard this letter the first time, maybe you're thinking, you know, I get that. You know, I love God, and I love my neighbor, and I want to love the law, and I want to do all that. But I have a few things I need to handle first. I need so-and-so to think politically like me. I need so-and-so to do this thing for me. I need to settle some scores first. And then once all that's done, once they pay their debts to me, then I can start paying my debt of love to them. But that's that's not it. That's, once again, the self going over and above that other-centered approach that we want to have in Christ. Because here's the reality, is we can't push off this calling, and we don't want to. The time to love is now. I mean, look at the urgency in Paul's words here. He says, do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. In other words, we cannot push this off. We have to leave the darkness behind. What Paul's talking about there, that salvation, that's the ultimate salvation. That's when the King of Kings has this most incredible victory parade on the last day. The night of sin is ending. The day is fast approaching. Your mission, dear Christian soldier, is time-sensitive. It is urgent. 
how do we prepare for this? How can we be ready for that last day? How can we have that last day perspective that transcends all the struggles of this life? We can only do so by looking to the one who gives us that armor of light that Paul talks about. Now, like the soldiers here today know, you can only properly be equipped for a fight if you have the right armor, the right intel, the right skills. You can only carpe diem seize the day when you let go of all your inhibitions and you fight with all your might because you have a cause and a purpose for fighting that goes beyond the struggle of the battlefield. You and I as Christian soldiers know where we can find that armor and that intel and those skills. You see, the deeds of darkness don't want us to let them go. They want us to keep slumbering through life, sleepwalking through our calling as Christian soldiers. They want us to use God's gifts simply to gratify ourselves. They want us to do things like drinking too much or whatever it takes to forget about the pain. They want nothing more than to divide us from the people we need the most. To get into our church family and divide us over things that in the grand scheme of things do not matter. To take us away from the unity we have in Jesus. And then they want to divide us from the people who need you the most. The people in your life who are lying wounded on this battlefield, and they might not even realize it, but you do. Who need so desperately for someone to carry them to the cross, to carry them to find answers, to carry them to find their real identity. That's what the darkness wants to do. That's the distraction it wants to give you. But you have the armor of light given you by faith. You have that Jesus-clad armor that goes into this fight without any inhibitions that leads you to fight with all your might. It's that Jesus-built armor that leads you to love this debt of love that you owe your neighbor and to rejoice in the fact that you've been called to such an incredible purpose. It's when you realize what you have you hear the voice of your commanding officer much more clearly. You hear your CEO, the king of kings, the general who rides on the white horse. Look at what he says. He says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Why be consumed by darkness? Why be so consumed about hiding our past and what we've done? Let that light of Jesus shine through you. Let that law expose where you've fallen short, but then keep running back to your commanding officer. Keep running back to Jesus and see the legacy that he has left for you. Well, so many of us here today have had this incredible blessing of a military legacy, right? Your grandfather or grandma, your mom, your dad, you go back generations, served our country, and that's an amazing blessing. And all of us here, as Christian soldiers, we have a legacy that all started back in the beginning. It's that legacy of grace and of God's mercy and his power. That's the legacy we want to pass on to the next generation of soldiers. That's the legacy that Moses was talking about, impressing it on our children and binding it on our foreheads to be with us wherever we go, to remind us of who we are no matter what we face. Because here's what you have in store for you, dear Christian soldier. 
When our Lord comes back on that last day, he's going to call your name, and you're going to stand in front of the billions of people who have ever lived. And he's going to look at you and smile, and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful soldier. And then he's going to give you an honor that is even better than a purple heart, even more substantial than a presidential medal of freedom, even more than a silver star. He's going to put that crown of life on your head. And he's going to give you the rank as king to reign along with him in heaven. But then it's going to get even more impactful for you. As you step back into that soldier, that army of martyrs, you'll see Jesus call somebody else forward. Somebody that never returned your love, somebody you never thought you'd see standing there with you, somebody that you poured everything out and it didn't seem like it did anything. You loved them selflessly with everything you had. Now they're standing there in front of Jesus, getting that same crown of life. I can't think of any calling that would be more worth it than that. So dear Christian soldiers, don't get discouraged. Love this debt of love that you owe and live the Christ-given calling you've been given. See your life through Jesus' eyes. See the things that breaks his heart and bring those hurting souls to him. Follow God's law with your Christ-centered eyes out of joy. You get to be a Christian soldier. You get to be on the side of victory every single second of every single day. Your neighbor needs you. Seize the opportunities that you have to show the self-sacrificing love of Jesus. And get excited that one day all this war, all this struggle, all this battle will end. You get to be with Jesus where there are no more fights but peace. Peace that surpasses all understanding and peace that will be yours forever. Amen. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be all glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen.